0: Well hello and welcome to episode number 58 of Virtual Team Dynamics, the All Fire podcast. My name is Francis Norman, I'm the founder and principal consultant here at All Fire. At Allfire, we specialise in helping you get the most from your virtual teams through understanding how your team members communicate and interact. On the podcast today, we're going to be talking about strategic alignment of virtual team goals and the importance that 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 should have within your organisation, your project and your virtual teams. So as with all of our podcasts, there's an accompanying article on the Ulfire website. So please do check it out for additional information. And while you're there, sign up for our regular newsletter and find out a bit more about how we may may be able to help you with your business. So, strategic alignment of virtual team goals—the title for this week's uh, podcast and this week's article. Essentially, when when you first start out on your virtual team endeavour, you'll find that you'll select a number of different locations for whatever reasons within your business or with or external. Even often, it's quite common for uh, for businesses to to partner or to subcontract work with other offices and other locations. Sometimes it'll be in the same city, sometimes it'll be in the same country, sometimes and quite commonly in a lot of very large projects, the virtual team partners will be in different countries. Those different countries will be potentially different countries with different businesses owning them or there may be different locations internationally for your organization. So every particular virtual team structure will be different. But one of the things that you need to consider every time you start on one of these is just how aligned all of the business partners are toward the goals of your project and toward the goals of your business, and how what you're trying to achieve fits not just with your organization, but with theirs as well. If you don't have reasonable levels of alignment, if you don't have reasonable levels of a consensus of strategic alignment and planning, there's a very, very good chance that at some point during the execution of your project or during the relationship that you'll have with this office, something will arise which will go against the goals of one of the partners and that partner may potentially choose to Um, to opt for a solution to that challenge or whatever which is in favour of their business and may well then put your project or your business or your relationship in jeopardy. So you really need to take a lot of time right at the start of one of these relationships to sit down with with the business leaders and the project leaders of all of these different locations and all of these different offices, particularly if they are external businesses that you're partnering with But surprisingly often, also if they're your own um, internal business partners, just to make sure that you have a consensus on the goals, on the aspirations, and on how things are going to work, so that when these challenges do come up, you've at least got a basis to, to move forward and to resolve any issues. Now, sometimes... You may find you can do this exercise once if you're going into a long-term strategic relationship where multiple projects will be executed using the same structure. But similarly, you may find you need to do it once for every project, even if you are using the same locations, simply because people will come and go. Financial targets and financial goals will evolve as time passes, and the need to keep this level of alignment will be always there. So we've identified five or six critical factors that we really need to be considered when you're doing these planning exercises. The first of which is financial goals. Now, it's quite common in many, many businesses that the that the business rewards for one office will be based on the performance of that one office rather than based on the performance of the overall business. Now, there are many reasons why this is the practice. There's many reasons why this is in place. Historically, it's in place to because most businesses have evolved from uh, from business practices where each office was responsible for doing work in its own location, and there wasn't a lot of history of sharing work around. So consequently, you want to reward each each location for doing work in its geographic region, and for doing that work effectively and for making a profit. Now, where this can start to come unstuck in a virtual team is that the financial goals of one location may not necessarily fit with the overall goals of the project. And sometimes projects can have such a high strategic goal for an organisation. Either it's a very, very large project that that organisation is executing for somebody else, or it's a large project of their own which has major risks and major potential benefits for the business going forwards. So from a business perspective, a project may have precedent over individual locations. However, if the reward structure for the locations is still based on that location executing its local work, it may well come to pass that a project may be compromised because the people who are undertaking part of that project in their location won't see any recognition and reward for the, for the effort that they put in. If they then find that they have opportunities to work on local work, it's possible that they will take people off the virtual teamwork that they were doing and deploy them onto the local work because that local work looks better on their reporting and therefore it stands better on their KPIs than if they are supporting another office. Um now, there are many other challenges as well around that, for instance, if a project is delayed for whatever reason and you have people standing idle, who pays for those people's time? Are those people paid for by the office that is not going to see the benefits of the project from a from a cash cash flow and capital return and so forth perspective, or should the office that's over overseeing the entire project? Um, Should that be the office that looks after the costs of of these sorts of things? So there's a great many financial issues that need to be resolved in terms of how you're going to structure and run a virtual team that many times get overlooked. Getting it right, um, and getting it right will be different for every business, and getting it right will be different for every project, but getting it right should mean that you reduce the risks and reduce some of the exposures and conflicts and arguments as the project progresses. So the second point which really sits off the back of the first is around the deployment of personnel now quite often a project will be will adopt a virtual team approach because they want access to specific personnel in another location now there's usually one of three reasons why that would happen one would be that the personnel have a particular skill which isn't available in the location of the of the main office second one would be that the particular people are um are less expensive than the people in the main office they have the same skill level, but they're they're a cheaper way to undertake the work and The third one would be that those people simply are available in the numbers required and not available in the in the office where the work has been allocated so again, you need to make sure that when when particular people get put forward for these projects that they remain available to the project for its duration. So once again you need to you need to discuss this during the strategic planning alongside the financial goals because it's, again it's quite common that if one project wants access to a particular specialist in a location many other projects will as well and that same individual or group of individuals can find themselves being being booked and overbooked multiple times and finding that they simply are not able to service all of the projects and all of the demands of all of the projects concurrently so you need to find ways to satisfy those requirements and you also need find to find ways where you can you can satisfy those requirements to the uh, to the best outcome for the whole of the organization rather than just for one project or one office so the next issue that needs to be agreed is around scheduling and quality of deliverables. And uh, here, here you need to be very conscious in terms of how different individuals and different locations and different cultures manage things like time and the different expectations on quality from one location to another. For instance, you may have some locations which are extremely time-driven and where they'll treat the schedule like it is the absolute top key document for within a project. You'll have other locations where they'll treat the schedule um, in a way which is more advisory rather than mandatory. And the conflict between those two can lead to all sorts of problems within a project. Similarly, when you get to quality levels, um, some locations traditionally may finish a piece of work at one particular point, whereas another location may actually go further or not go as far to get to the same stated quality level. Now, both of them will be right in their own local areas, um, but... If you start to get a, a disconnect between what one office thinks is is finished and to the right quality and what another office doesn't, when you start to see that appearing on a schedule, that can be that can be a major problem, because one office, let's say the worst case could be that one office works right up to the absolute end date on a schedule for a deliverable, they pass that deliverable to the other office who receives it and suddenly realizes that the work has been done to a to a, a less complete point than they would categorise it for that same um, point in time. They suddenly need to find ways to make up the, the shortfall in terms of schedule. So there are many risks associated with, with these things happening. Next point to consider is standards. Um, now Typically, these days, standards are starting to become more homogenized, so one international standard is being adopted by multiple countries. But there are still issues around national standards and around international standards and industry standards and client standards and business standards. You need to make sure that everybody working on a project is working to the standards that have been agreed with the end user for whatever the facility or whatever the project is. Because if you start finding that different people work toward different standards, documentation will start to to wander apart. Um, Different standards will mandate certain different materials, potentially, or certain different approaches to how work is performed. And as time goes by, again, the project will start to suffer from immense amounts of risk, potential unplanned expense, loss of reputation and so forth when things start to go really, really badly and there are any number particularly in the industrial space there are any number of projects out there where these sorts of things have happened things have been designed to to perfectly designed and built to the standard in the country where they are being designed and fabricated then they arrive in another country only to realize that the entire set of standards to which they've been built are not applicable and they need to be almost completely restructured Things, instances where this can happen can be around electrical standards where where some countries will have different frequencies and voltages to other countries. Um, But there are no end of different challenges that businesses need to be aware of in here. So again, they need to be highly strategically aligned and standardized for the project. Similarly, however, many of the human resources standards and practices should remain Local to the offices in which the work is being performed, so you shouldn't you shouldn't assume that because you're changing technical standards that for to suit a project that you also need to change human resource practices and standards. Individual cultures and individual offices will have their own approaches to many of the ways that they manage their personnel and many of the ways that their personnel are, are treated and perceived and expect to be treated and perceived they should not be addressed, they shouldn't be changed unless there is a really, really strong reason for making a change when technical standards and delivery standards are being changed because the the human resource standards and approach have evolved over a long time to suit the culture and to suit the requirements of that particular country and location and industry. So the fifth point is around values. Now this really fits sort of in between the human resource standards and the technical standards and the cultural fit and so forth of a business so you need to make sure that, that the common values that are held need to be appropriate for the work that's being done so if you have commitments as an organization around environmental issues around minimum rates of pay for lo- around local content um, around safety, and safety is a huge one when you get into into an industry where fabrication and where, uh, where labour is being expended in building things in a potentially um, risky and dangerous environment. Uh, the organisation holistically needs to make sure that everybody works to the best possible standards that they can, and in some instances this may mean major changes for some of the local labour areas it may mean that people need to work different hours it may mean that they need to be provided with different safety equipment and so forth so you need to look at those common values and you need to look at them from a client perspective and from your own organisation's perspective to make sure that that you're not just getting cheap labour because that cheap labour comes with poor safety standards and um, and debatable environmental issues and uh, and 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 rates of pay which are below Um, world standards, you need to make sure that they fit and fit very well for the overall business and for the overall industry in which you function. Then the sixth point, and possibly one of the most important, but again one of the ones which gets a lot less discussion because it's it's harder to actually nail it down, is culture. You need to make sure that you have a, a good cultural fit, or at least a good cultural understanding across all of the offices which are working on this work. You need to make sure that you have agreed ways to deal with disputes. You need to make sure that you have agreed ways to manage communications, how to raise issues and uh, and, and such like, to make sure that, that one office, simply because they have, let's say, a very dominant nationalist, national culture, will not dominate all of the discussions, and that it will be an inclusive environment for everybody to work in you will often find for instance that that people from a from a more quiet more retiring national culture will work very very well within their own cultural group they have their own ways of dealing with one another and what may seem very quiet to people coming from a more a more vocal and a more visible cultural uh, way of communication will work very very well for that quiet location but when you put the two together, it can be very easy for the people from the, from the retiring and quiet culture to be overwhelmed by the people from the very loud and dominant culture. And that's not good for an organisation when they're trying to work across cultures. Similarly, you need to understand how hierarchies fit within organisations and within cultures. You may find that you have one office which has a very flat hierarchical structure working alongside of another office with an extremely rigid, militaristic almost, hierarchical structure. Each party needs to understand why the other has the the differences that it has, and it needs to find ways to work within those cultures, rather than to expect that one culture shall change entirely just to accommodate a project, because that won't work, it won't happen. Even if people see things that they like within the other culture... It's still extremely difficult to change cultures within within a business like that to make it fit to an overall. And then you've got to decide whose culture you're going to choose. Do you choose the client's culture? Do you choose the pro- the project home business culture? Do you choose the culture that that someone just thinks is the nicest one? So you need to be very careful around how you select and and deploy different cultures and and how you work within the cultures. So those were the six. Points for consideration for for holding your strategic alignment planning sessions, balancing financial goals, balancing the deployment and utilisation of personnel, understanding and agreeing scheduling and quality levels for deliverables, understanding and mandating where appropriate national and um, industry-driven technical standards for the work being undertaken, but equally recognising that Human resource standards and practices need to be country and regionally specific to ensure that you have a set of common values between all of the partners and to ensure that you have a very good corporate cultural fit. And if you can consider all of those before you start your project, you're going to be off into at least a very favourable way to get your project going. So I hope that you've enjoyed this episode, and if you have, please do check us out further at our website, which is www.ulfire.com.au And of course, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast feed, which is possible through a number of different podcast pages within, on the website, and to keep up to date through our newsletter and just generally regularly checking out the website. So thank you very much and I look forward to speaking with you in future episodes.